exactly go to plan. Maybe a little bit, based on the fact that Derek Anderson was starting quarterback. It was the starting quarterback of the game, but it, uh, Matthew, it was historic. Today was an historic day in the NFL. The first ever 37 to 5 final score in NFL history. And the fact that the Bills got to the five mark, that's like, that's like, that was one of the shoe-ins to make this game, this ultimately completely meaningless game into their development and into everything that they do, into something that we remember because they scored five points. The second time in the last, or since the start of the new century that they've scored five points. They were beaten 38 to five before. How do, how do you feel to be a part of an historic day like today? It, it was wonderful, really. It was <laughs> a true honor and a blessing to be here on this day. We thought maybe we would get Adam Vinatieri history today, but he missed a couple extra points and hurt his groin and did not get to the all-time points record. Instead, we got a different kind of history that felt probably all too familiar, I think, for Bills fans because... This offense continues to find new ways to suck and yet kind of look the same that it's looked for, I don't know, a decade plus. And now they're just doing it with another uh, another face at quarterback, another new name to trot out there. But it was, I don't know, every week you think it can't get worse, it can't get worse. This one felt about as bad as any of them. Uh, obviously the Ravens was a bigger beatdown, but this is a 1-5 in five Colts team that just tore them up from start to finish and to the Colts credit they looked a lot better on film like Andrew Luck is a really good quarterback and we saw him make some really dynamite plays in this game but I think what is ultimately just the biggest kick to the groin area for fans is the fact that the defense has been playing as well as it has and to just look totally unprepared or or even just get there, get get blown away at the line of scrimmage. That was the most concerning part because I think what has been such an instrumental part to their turnaround on defense from last year to this year has been the play of the defensive line, the defensive ends getting pressure, the defensive tackles holding up at the point of attack and not allowing the run game, the opponent's run game to get going. When you allow a guy like Marlon Mack to get a 100-yard game, that is saying something because he's not good. He's really not that good. He's a young player, but he doesn't really see the field all that well. And I, I heard one of the, the local media guys say something along these lines, that this is only the fourth time since Andrew Luck has been drafted that he's had a 100-yard rusher, which is astounding in the fact that usually this Colts team is looking to him to pass the ball a lot, but even more astounding in the fact that that is – quite honestly their weakness and the Bills defense who had a strength in run defense just got bowled over by them it was it was a joke today and they need to take a hard look at themselves after this type of performance yeah it's hard to you know pile on the defense too much just because of the way that they've played over the last you know month or so and the fact that they seemingly every week are dragging the offense kicking and screaming uh you know through four quarters so you almost think that a letdown was inevitable, but I think the way that they got beat was a little bit concerning because on both sides of the ball, there were guys in the locker room after the game saying that 
yeah, they threw some stuff at us that we weren't prepared for, that we hadn't mm. seen. Uh, Lorenzo Alexander, who's seen it all, you know, said they threw some runs in there that we hadn't seen, that we weren't ready for. Mm-hmm. And Zay Jones said the same thing on the offensive side of the ball, that they threw some scheme stuff at them that they weren't ready for. And when you have that type of – when you're out coached like that, I think that's more alarming than anything. And I think people are already – you know, patience is wearing thin with Sean McDermott because of some of the decisions that he's made, particularly at quarterback. But I think most people even, you know, would agree that, you know, he gets a lot out of this team on a weekly basis. But to come in here and see how this rebuild is being done, that's a team over there that's got $50 million in unused cap space. They've got, obviously, the benefit of having a franchise quarterback in Andrew Luck. Mm-hmm. But... They've got an offensive coach. You know, they've got bright offensive minds who came in here and out-schemed Sean McDermott for four straight quarters. And I think that rebuild looks a lot more attractive than the one the Bills have. Even though they walk out of here with the same record, you look at what they're doing, the way they're doing it, the way some other teams do it with offensive coaches and building around the offense, and you kind of look and say – you know, I understand why some some Bills fans might be a little bit jealous of of how the Colts have, um, you know, done things here. Even though they are two and five, to, to come in and get beat like that and just schooled by that offense, I mm-hmm. think is is pretty glaring. Yeah, I've got a bit of a take. I mean, this Colts team a lot better than two and five. They, sure, they are, and but that's not my take. I think I think they might even like once we get to the end of the season. I think they, they'll either be right there for the AFC South title or they'll be a game out. I think this is a, a pretty good team that th- this year might might not be their year, but I think next year is the one where they can build off what they're doing this year because they've got a lot of good young pieces. And even though they have some serious skill players on uh, on uh, the offensive side of things that really aren't all that talented, it they're, they're going to be – they're going to be a, a contender in in twenty what is it nineteen. So uh, yeah, I, th- this is a this is a good team, but they're not there yet. And the Bills defense should have been able to do more against the likes of Chester Rogers and Eric Ebron and I mean T. Y. Hilton, notwithstanding, because he's a good player. But Marlon Mack, Naheem Hines, Naheem Hines, however the heck you say what it. What did Marlon Mack do to you and your family that you've got such a bone to just, pick with him? Just watch him, man. He, he just... was a star out there today. No, it, He it, made you eat a whole heaping helping of crow. That's the, why you're The upset. offensive line was the star today. And that's the interesting thing about right. this Colts team is that finally the offensive line is pretty good, and they dominated the Bills' defensive line pretty much from start to finish. And... They're not exact. They're not leaps and bounds ahead of the Bills in terms of where they're at in their rebuilding process. Other than the fact that they have the quarterback, and that's probably the depressing part if you're a Bills fan watching these games. I mean, Derek Anderson gets rolled out there, and he seemed pretty defeated after the game. He seemed pretty, you know, down on himself. And yeah, he, you know, he turned the ball over four times. The Bills turned it over five, and you know, they were moving the ball probably better than they have, you know, for most of the season. That was a bit of an alarming part for Bills fans, too, I think. Right. The fact that Derek Anderson on six practices, well, really three, was moving the ball at a better clip than their rookie quarterback was. Yeah, and a much better clip than Nathan Peterman was, obviously. So there was, 
there's so much to unpack when you, you're you're watching this team because offensively they still look uh, a bit lost. Uh, there's still not a lot to hang your hat on. And then when the defense gets its doors blown off, and then you have guys in the locker room talking about you know being out you know getting stuff thrown at them that they weren't ready for, and you've got guys as frustrated as they are. It's funny the the Colts aren't as bad as two and five would indicate. I don't think the Bills are as good as two and five would indicate. You might be right there. I mean, I know this defense is really good, but they are not. This is now the first time since Sean McDermott took over as the head coach that they are under five hundred, I believe. Wow. And you know they've shown over the last two years that they are. They have a, a tendency to have these games, to get blown out by a lot and go through stretches where they're, they're getting beat badly. You know? And I think that inconsistency is, is definitely something that should be a concern going forward because as much as Sean McDermott got out of that team last year, they still have these stretches, and, and especially on defense too. And, and that's sort of where the league is going, I guess, where – the offense has the advantage, and the offense is going to, you know, offenses are scoring crazy amounts of points this year, a record-setting pace. But isn't that part of the concern with this whole vision of of this team and of this, you know, we talked about, brought it all the way up to ownership, you know, last week, but you hire a defensive-minded coach, you spend all your money on the defensive side of the ball in a league when everybody is going and playing great offense, you're scoring five points in a game. I mean, when the guy on the other side, you know, Frank Reich, what an obvious choice he would have been to come coach the Bills. I mean, you've got guys who are offensive-minded and, you know, pushing the game forward, and Sean McDermott is trying to drag it backwards at times, it seems. Yeah, and that's why it is so critical to have the right offensive mind here, and that's where Brian Dable comes in because today, I mean, they, they made the switch. They had him down on the sidelines, and that was a call that they made to, just for a different look for, you know, communication or maybe Dable might be more comfortable down there. Um, maybe it might be to help Josh Allen in his, uh, I guess, uh, now his role with the team because he can't play due to that elbow injury. So for whatever reason, he was down there. But this is, I think, the question that a lot of Bills fans are asking right now is the pair of these two guys, the duo that is going to lead the Bills where they ultimately want to go. And I think this is a very layered discussion because the immediate response is well we don't know yet and there's a lot of different factors along those lines but it, it it's interesting you and I both talked about this before the podcast began that it's almost as though everybody or not everybody the majority of the fans knew that this was going to be a step back kind of year but now that it's here there's a lot of people wondering what Sean McDermott is doing, wondering what Brian Dable is doing in his first game. And 
I think that is a bit of where the temperature lies within the fan base because while last year was a lot of fun for them because at this point in the season, it was the inverse record. They were 5-2. and two. Fans were feeling good on on that Tuesday right after they, they traded for Kelvin Benjamin. It's like, wow, this head coach. And now it's like, wow, this head coach. Only in the exact opposite way. So... It is in in my mind, Matthew. It is extremely early, and there are all the factors of the dead money, the uh, how much they tore the offense down, really to the studs, um, and are just trying to rebuild the entire thing. And now the the questions about if they actually have the ability to, I guess put or find the right people to make the decisions on offense like in within the offensive coordinator or what or if they know what they're looking for in a quarterback if they should be the ones making the decisions looking for a quarterback so it's it's an extremely layered discussion and I know the there is a major push around the fan base right now that wants to be reactive about it but and I know that temptation is clearly there. I just don't know that it's, I guess, right right now just because it might not be what they wanted, but they also thought this was in within the realm of possibilities of what this year could be. Yeah, I think the, the thing about it is Sean McDermott will not be fired this season. No. And, and people wanting it to happen are, you know, I can – follow the logic but it's it's not going to happen I, I would be completely shocked if sean mcdermott were fired at the end of the season or at any point before that terry pagula very much what's happening now though is terry pagula thought and really wanted badly to have the two right guys and to really sit back and not have to be as hands-on as he was for his first few years of ownership because mm-hmm everything was a mess. Rex Ryan was a mess and there was infighting. The entire situation was just a mess. And he felt, Hey, I've cleaned it up. I can now sit back and just enjoy being an owner of this team. It's, it could get messy again. It could get to a point where he has to make some decisions. He has to at least think about it and monitor it because you get to a point in any one of these regimes relationships whatever you want to call them where you know there there becomes that divide where it's like you know there's always going to be a power struggle when blame you know people want to assign blame there's always going to end up being a little bit of a power struggle so i think patience is going to be extremely difficult for fans to have because because of the way that because of what we talked about a couple weeks ago where you don't know if this is going to pay off down the line. Like you don't know if they're going to be able to build up this offense considering they haven't acquired a ton of talent on offense. As yep. much talent as they've acquired on defense, you just don't know if it's going to work out. But the Pagulas have already made the decision to give them that time. You don't let mm-hmm. people tear things down if you're not going to at least see how they can build it back up. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to sit here and talk anyone off the ledge that's losing faith in the way Sean McDermott coaches this team and some of the decisions that he makes because 
I think there are some serious concerns there. And, you know, when you have Derek Anderson in there, when he's really not prepared to play, he even mentioned mentally wasn't that big of a problem. I think physically was the bigger problem, like we talked about. The speed of the game and the fact that he's probably not even in good enough shape to be out there. The first time he pushed it down the field aggressively, it was a pick. I mean, he sailed it to Kelvin Benjamin. It was also probably a throw he shouldn't have made. And Benjamin probably needs to run a better route there but well you're not going to get better routes and i know what everybody out there is thinking as they're watching Derek anderson they're like the bills could have had blaine gabbard and you're right they could have you know he's undefeated in this building in his career did you know that 2-0 i'm just gonna sit you can filibuster the next couple of minutes because i'm gonna sit out after this he's in there that's you're 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 working hard it's true i gotta give you they could have had a guy like Boyne Gabbert, they could have had any number of more capable, but they could have had Derek Anderson in here getting in shape in training camp. You know, they could have done a lot of things differently to prepare themselves for the inevitable when you throw a quarterback out there behind that type of line. And now they're kind of, they appear to have stepped in it a bit and they're borderline and unwatchable football team. I mean, I, I give fans a lot of credit if they sit through these games and uh, especially, you know, after doing so, listen to us and relive it again because it's I'm, it's a bad product. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess this is one of the least listened to episodes. That I don't know, though, season. because last week was, a you know, a lot of people are, are listening. There yeah, are people but, that are a little bent out of shape. But Peterman imploded like this one is almost the apathy bowl because you're like oh well Derek Anderson starting and you kind of knew what you were getting yourself into but and now you but it's a good it's a it's an interesting point because they've got a lot of home games in December oh sure and starting with a Monday night football game right and late in the year there's a lot of home games that I wonder what they're going to look like Mm -hmm. and how Terry Pagula is going to feel about that and the fact that his team will have created very little buzz and that, you know, fans, are, you know, there's angst out there about this. And I, th- I think maybe we even overestimated the amount of goodwill the playoff berth would get them. Cause I don't think it's helping them out much right now. No, I mean, it's buying, probably buying them time in the eyes of ownership, but I don't know that a lot of fans really care and ultimately, much about the drought ending yeah, at but, this point. But ultimately, it's not, and you know, I want to say this respectfully. Ultimately, it's not up to the fans. No, it is. It's not. It's it is. And that's why they're going to have to live call. with it for right. at least through 2019. And yeah. my guess is maybe even longer. Yeah. I think the last thing that Terry Pagula wants to do is go out looking for another coach right. or GM because or he both. has he has done it so many times with both his franchises now and with uh, little success right. on either. I mean, I don't know that he's hired a good one yet. And this, and this duo, maybe you know, maybe Bottrell is is the guy, or you know, maybe Housley's the guy. I don't know. Or but maybe Sean and Brandon. Maybe are the they guys are because they made it to the playoffs last year, and that's the the most degree of success that Terry Pagula has felt since taking over as an owner, which is stark because he has been an owner for quite some time now, and that. Uh, I, I don't know that he necessarily wants to walk or do away with that, and I'm sure there's there is going to be patience shown by him, especially 
uh, with uh, the end of the lease coming around and everything like that. So there's they've got some other fish to fry in terms of uh, in terms of what to do with their sports franchises. But this is still an issue as for as long as the Bills are losing, which let's not beat around the bush. They're probably going to be two and six by the end of Monday night next week. It's going to continue to be part of the story, part of the equation. The fans and their overall trust of what Sean McDermott is doing, how he's analyzing things, if he's putting his players in positions to succeed. Because the biggest argument against that was throwing Josh Allen out there in week two of the season. And that's going to be one of those divisive decisions that uh, if it doesn't go well for Josh Allen, that is going to be a moment a lot of people, myself included, are going to look back to and say, was that the right call? Did you do it out of necessity or did you do it because you thought he was ready? And and we've, as we pointed out multiple times, that this, this whole thing all revolves around Josh Allen becoming the player that they want him to. But him not being out there just... It multiplies the feelings with with Bills fans because the more they have to sit through that crap bo- on both sides of the ball, at least they could hang their hat on the defensive side of the ball, but, you know, n- that didn't even go well today. It was just a complete window washing of, of, the, uh, of the Bills today. So the more that that happens and the longer that Josh Allen is out, it's going to get people a bit angsty. And probably for good reason, but also, you know, there's that patience, that goodwill that they might have with ownership. That's that's just not there. No, it certainly isn't. And when you, I I think, anytime you watch Derek Anderson play a game for your football team, you wonder about the plan and the fact that there really isn't one. Yeah, it tests the will of a human. You know, there was not a plan for Josh Allen. They talked so much about it, and then there was not one. Because if there was, they threw it out the window. You know, they had him sit to start the season and then threw it out the window after a half of watching Nathan Peterman dribble down his leg. So you're, what was the plan to begin with to develop this guy? I go back to some of the same things, but they have a quarterback's coach who has not coached the position in the NFL before he got to Buffalo. We keep saying the same things they because have they're co- all valuable points. Right. They have a coordinator <laughs> who has never had success in the NFL at all, really, other than as a position coach winning Super Bowls in New England. Uh, they have, they had no quality veteran around to keep Josh Allen on the bench. And so it almost is, you know, we talk so much about if Josh Allen is good, then everything will be fine. And that's true. But I'm also almost to the point where I say, if Josh Allen is good, he's going to be good in spite of the Bills, not, you know, because of the Bills. They will almost have lucked into it because they did nothing right when it comes to developing him, or at least early on here. We'll see what they do to surround him with talent in the offseason, but they failed him miserably, and he was a quarterback who is who needed the development. He needed, he needed it more than almost any of these guys. And I think that's a kind of an alarming deal is that he needed all these things, got none of them, 
And now you're sitting there saying, well, you know, if he's good, everything will be fine. Well, I don't know that you can bank on that. I don't know what, you know, and it's early and I know, you know, people freak out because you can't judge a rookie quarterback early, but it's not even specifics of Josh Allen's game or burying Josh Allen. It's more that the plan is just so bad and the plan is just, it's not even there. And so when you don't have that, or you at least didn't even think about, you know, the worst case scenario, what if he gets hurt or what if Peterman isn't as good as we think he is? which has happened to us before, you know, what if uh, he's not, you know, what if this coordinator that we're hiring, you know, again, has, you know, bad results. And again, hard to judge Brian Dable with no talent around him. But, you know, what if this group of wide receivers isn't enough to, you know, boost this young quarterback early in his career? It seems like they didn't think about any of those things. And if they did, they just ignored it because they, you know, ramrodded all the money into the defense and spent, they had money to spend. They just spent it on the other side of the ball. That was a conscious decision that they made. At, when they spent that money, they knew Eric Wood was retired. They knew Richie Incognito wasn't going to be you know, in the plans. Mm-hmm. So you can say those things caught you off guard, but you had time to plan. It's not like, oh, geez, we put together this whole big plan to go after these guys, and you know these two guys retired. Mm oh, well, we're just going to stick with, you know, there was time to adjust and not use all your resources on one side of the ball when you knew you'd be bringing in a quarterback who needed some nurturing and some development. And I I really do think that they they let him down in a lot of ways. And I know he didn't play today, so, you know, the conversation is kind of steered to him as it always does. But that's the the reality of, of where they're at. Making matters worse for fans, LaShawn McCoy going down on his second carry. I mean, that turned it into the Derek Anderson, Chris Ivory, and Marcus Murphy-led Bills offense. And by the way, uh, shout out to my guy. Let me see if I can find his name really quick. Um, where'd he sit? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Shout out to, where's his name? Well, a guy on Twitter, I mean, earlier today, I'm like, wow, I just tweeted a preseason tweet in week seven of the season. And then he's like, well, I'm going to, he's like, I'll count. (laughs) I'll count how many preseason tweets. And he said that I ended up having seven, seven preseason-esque tweets, which is not exactly great when you're talking about players that, probably shouldn't be on the field in week seven of the season maybe week 16 week 17 after you suffer a ton of injuries and this is also a point that that we haven't uh, made too much the bills have been really damn lucky with injuries this year so far they have zero people on ir zero no legitimate long-term injuries to some of their best players now Josh Allen, of course, is their biggest injury and their biggest headline of an injury, but that even sounds like he's going to be back at some point. Maybe even sometime in the next couple of weeks. Who knows? We, we, we don't exactly know what his prognosis is to this point. But when you have that bad of a team and really only your roster building to show for it, that is where the questions come in. And, and ultimately, you know, it... We're not going to get a, a fair gauge 
on what this coaching staff will ultimately be this year. And that's frustrating for fans because, you know, you see two and five, you're like, well, screw that. This is on the coach. This is on the GM. But if it's the first step into a three-step plan, then I wonder how much of that is legitimate. And like you said, I'm not going to sit here and tell people not to be mad. It's You're damn right as a fan to be mad. Get mad if you want to. But, re, but you also probably should realize that nothing's going to change at this point. And that not having that true gauge and knowing that nothing will change has to be frustrating for a lot of people. And, and I, I totally uh, comprehend that. Perhaps depressing for some people. Yeah. I mean, it's a... Uh... People live and breathe the Bills. It's and... why we have so many listeners, so many dedicated listeners who listen after a freaking 37-5 to 5 blowout. And it's, again, one of those things where, at least in the in other years when you lost faith, you could, you know, cross your fingers that, uh, that change would be on the horizon. But this is one of those things where they're just going to stick it out. And it's either going to, you know, they're either going to fix this thing or they're going to spend a lot of time messing it up some more and knowing which way it's going to go it's kind of impossible at this point and they did a such a good job with the defense that you think hey maybe if they you know devote some resources and some energy to it they can do the same on offense but again this is a defensive minded head coach he's not uh you know he doesn't have an offensive background i think some of his ideas on that side of the ball are you know misguided and um and he you don't know that he has the people in place either to to figure that out and you only you only get so many chances to figure that out i don't think they're going to be firing brian dable you can't fire offensive coordinators two straight years i mean i suppose they could but that would be uh that would be something i also think it's different circumstances with dable because they've really ripped it down this year on offense especially at the quarterback position because tyrod taylor was out there are they moving the ball a lot more consistently than they have been probably they probably are, just because he's more of the safe option. But and that's where you kind of get yourself work yourself into trouble because you find yourself in that same zone where you were last year, where it's like it's probably passable, but not ultimately where you want to get to. So now they're trying to do something a bit riskier to get where you ultimately want to go to, and this is the result in the meantime. So for those that are like, what the hell is up with Dable? I mean, he's had piss-poor quarterback play this year all across the board. I mean, Peterman was brutal. Josh Allen has been pretty brutal outside of some pretty uh, some flashing plays. Derek Anderson, a brutal day for him, even though he was moving the ball a little bit. It's for him, like, you think you're frustrated as fans? I mean, that dude, this is literally his life. And... This is his, and he's doing it for the team that he grew up around, and he doesn't have pieces to do all the things that he wants to do. And I don't, I don't know. What what about you? How much of that falls on him? How much of that falls on just the roster composition? Because it's one of those things that we haven't really gotten into, and we dug into Rick Dennison hard last year, specifically in the second half of the season. But that was only because they actually had some pieces. So I I don't know. It's it's a bit of a different conversation with Dable. I think so. I think it's really hard to judge a guy when he has historically bad quarterback play. 
he plays some role in that because mm-hmm. he's you know developing these guys and getting them ready and formulating game plans each week but blaming him for peterman is tough now last week as we talked about i mean he ran the same play twice in a row that got peterman picked off um he's he hasn't been without fault and we've even seen sean mcdermott get a little frustrated with him at times as well so it's not you know the the type of thing where he's been perfect by any means i just think it's so hard to judge him and this is kind of the case with his whole career he's had terrible quarterbacks and really not much to work with when he's taking jobs he should maybe be a little bit more careful about which jobs he takes like Derek anderson like Derek anderson <laughs> his guy i mean christ like the <laughs> you've got kelvin benjamin who can hardly run any of his routes properly you've got zay jones who's still finding his way andre holmes was you know one of Derek anderson's main targets today charles clay has been completely useless oh that, that's and i'll actually say this is a a point that mcdermott brought up that i actually thought was a good one i mean they were only down six nothing and charles clay fumbled it in colt's territory that's that's a a potential flip game flipping sort of play but it also didn't bring on the bills defense letting up as many points as they did the rest of the way so it you can it'll, it can only take you so far but i guess in terms of morale and going up seven to six maybe or maybe even cutting the deficit in half six to three maybe it does something but you know that's still a bad look for charles clay and this has been a bad season for him this has been his worst season by far as a bills player yeah he's not very good they can't get out of that contract soon enough i think that will happen in the off season they can finally get out from under another one of the bad deals that you know the previous regime handed out but there's no, there's just nothing for Dayball to work with. Um, and I think that in and of itself just makes it such a tough conversation to have because, you know, there are people who, you know, like the scheme or, you know, think he, think highly of Brian Dayball as a coach, but the results just aren't there. And this is going to be another year where the results are just awful for him. And when you stack up his resume, you'll look at it and say, like, geez, this guy, he's put together some bad offenses. And mm-hmm. he's also been handed bad players to work with. So it's tough. That's why, you know, the narrative surrounding coaches oftentimes depends on, you know, what type of situation they stumble into. So I guess we'll time will tell because he's going to play a big role in developing Josh Allen. And if he can't get it done, then, you know, that could – this could be his last shot at being an offensive coordinator because he's gotten a lot of tries. Mm-hmm. He was in the building when they scouted all these quarterbacks. He was in charge of coming up with a plan for developing said quarterback or scheming uh, to fit which quarterback they picked. So he certainly had to have had a hand in Josh Allen being the guy, you would think. Although that's a another interesting conversation to have would mm-hmm. be like, I, I wonder, you know, 15 years down the line when Dable's done with this whole deal. Who made the pick? If he would say, if I, yeah, what, or what, was your, what would your board have looked like? Who yeah, would you rather right, have had? Because right. it could have been somebody entirely different. Because yeah. we know Bean's job is ultimately on the line. Mm-hmm. So he and McDermott are ultimately making that pick. But fact of the matter is, he was in the building. He had some influence. He was supposed to come up with the plan. And so 
you know, you can talk about the lack of talent that he has, the lack of players that he has, which is true, but you got a top 10 quarterback and doing something with him is really his responsibility in a lot of ways. And so they need more talent around him, but lots of offense, you know, you look at the other quarterbacks he's had prior to coming to Buffalo, none were as talented as Josh Allen, none were as high of draft mm-hmm. picks as Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. So that excuse won't really fly if Allen doesn't end up panning out. You know, every time that we reference the plan, the plan that they had, the plan that Dable had, this is the vision that pops in my head. You've seen Toy Story, right? Yes. Of course. The uh, the aliens and the little vending machine where they go, mm, the claw. All I can see is them going, ooh, the plan. <laughs> like that, <laughs> because it's just this ambiguous thing that has never been defined well it also didn't exist right i mean if, if there were a plan the claw did though it, it did yes <laughs> it was a very if there were real a plan thing. then what part of it and what page of the book that is said plan was 35 year old Derek anderson starting a game for uh, you? page process yeah well, what what part of the plan was that because if there were a plan you don't end up in this situation I mean, even look at Miami's getting competent play out of Brock Osweiler in an emergency situation. So having a better backup should have been part of the plan. I mean, having a quarterback's coach who has coached the position in the NFL at some point in Man. his life would maybe be part of the plan. If David Coley listened to this, listens to this podcast, he'd have known that Matthew Fairburn, he's out on the idea of David yeah, Coley. Yeah, David Coley, great guy. He hasn't talked to me this year. Maybe he does listen to the podcast. Who Ooh. knows? Well, he also doesn't talk because, by rule, assistant coaches are only need to talk if it best benefits the team, is how it's written in the uh, PFWA policy. And I'm not sure it ever will benefit the team to have David Pauly <laughs> talk. Not that he's a bad talker. He's a good talker. I've talked to him before. Uh-huh. He's a nice guy, and he's an eloquent guy, and I very much enjoy speaking with him. But highlighting the fact that David Culley is the quarterback's coach not a never not a good look for Sean McDermott and for for the franchise in general because I think they need better honestly. Another thought popped in my head. Um, this is a down the line thing, but I want to get it on record now. I think I know who is going to be the apple of their eye in in the off season. You ready? Fits all the areas that you're looking for. Devin Funchess who is a free agent at the end of the year, a former first-round pick of the Panthers. Bean had a major hand in drafting him. We know how they feel about Panthers, guys. They know he's going to work. He's an ascending player. I think he's the type of guy that they just throw huge money at. Loves Devin Funches. TG, by the way. You're just going to stay stay up there in the second row, or are you going to come down here and talk like a man? I'm eavesdropping. <laughs> TG's trying to steal takes is yeah. what he's doing. Yeah, that's... Very unethical, Tim. He's just excited because trying to get inspired. <laughs> I had a story. I had a column all ready to go, and then did a little reporting in the locker room afterwards, and found out that it would not be the wisest uh, column for me to write. So mm. uh, by this time, uh, the locker room was pretty empty. So I'm in scavenger mode right now. You could have ham-fisted your narrative. Yes. Despite the reporting, it's Ham- always an option. Well, this is what's happening. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm stealing, scavenging, and ham-fisting. Have you gotten anything good from us? From you guys? Yeah. 
Um, I you caused me to look up Marlon Mack's history. Ooh. Because I thought he looked great today, and mm-hmm. of course he did because the holes were big. But I thought he looked pretty explosive. Mm-hmm. And but I trust your judgment, Joe. And I'm like, well, heck, maybe I'll need to look into it. Here's a little stat. Oh. He doubled his yards for the season this year. I don't know if you guys noticed. He came into the game with 123 rushing yards and ran for 126 yards. So, there. Oh, he's only played two games, so you got to. He had a hamstring sure. injury. But um, he was kind of. He was not great. He looked last like Walter year. Payton today. <laughs> I mean, with the with the holes that he had in that game. Let's go on this Ring of Honor. I like the Ring of Honor. I'm a little. <laughs> up, I'm a little upset actually that there are no Baltimore Colts on the Colts Ring of Honor. So no mm. John Unitas. Bill Polian's up Bill there Polian's though. There. But they give Ted Marchabroda credit for coaching the Baltimore Colts. So you see it says 75-79 Ted Marchabroda, and yet they don't acknowledge the Baltimore Colts anywhere else. So uh, no Burt Jones, no – oh, shoot, I'm drawing a blank on the running back. uh, uh, Lenny Moore. um, But how about this? When did they move? What what year did they move? Oh, I don't remember. 80 – Four, 85, 85. So I I just wanted to, since I said Walter Payton, let's say Marlon Mack looked like, (laughs) who's up there? There are a couple of good running backs. Marshall Uh, Falk. Eric Dickerson. Dickerson. He looked like Eric Dickerson today. Ooh, Edge James. Do you think Marlon Mack will ever have his name up there on the ring of honor? If he could play the Bills 16 times a year. He'd really only need to play the Bills only four or five times a year. I think that would make a career. That that would make him an all-pro. If you could have games like today, he had a rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown. Mm-hmm. He was wide open on that play. Matt Milano, uh, who cover one, who you guys work with at The Athletic, pointed out that Milano bit to try and help out a teammate and just left the running back completely on his own. And and uh, luck went through his progressions. That's what a good quarterback does. Like That's what we, we talked about with Josh Allen staying in the pocket, going through his reads. Luck was all the way to the left in his reads and then scanned. Saw him wide open on the right side. You know how many quarterbacks make that play just in the league? Probably 12, if we're, if we're being honest. And Luck's one of them. Do the Bills have that guy? Potentially do they have that guy? That's, that's neither here nor there, I guess. But, um, but yeah, Marlon Mack, was, uh, he's pretty damn good. I guess that should take us, since we're talking about Ring of Honor, I think we should just get into the awards portion, shall we? I think so. Um, all right, so... Uh, let's go with the Vontae Day. No, let's go with the Dre Archer Award first and foremost. Um, I think you have it, if I'm not mistaken. The Dre Archer Award for the player that didn't show up the in the entire game, who never showed up. You're just talking slow because you don't have it yet. <laughs> I see right. You have here. the Ray Ray McLeod. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's actually, and it's going to lead me into a point that I still want to make. But go yeah. On. I'll, Ray Ray McLeod, you know, he legit, legitimately never showed up. He, I don't know exactly what happened, but he, he didn't get here. And it was, the reasoning was murky, but we'll get to that later. But Ray Ray McLeod, congratulations on your first Dree Archer Award. And quite frankly, I don't know if the guy warrants a roster spot, but here he is on the roster. But not in Indianapolis, no. the house that Blaine built. Oh, Jeez, are we really going that far? You just, you just, you just can't help himself. People also, just can't do it. Definitely got to have an honor, honorable mention to Cam Phillips, who I know everybody out there had 
in their daily fantasy lineups in a stack <laughs> with Derek Anderson. And I, I, still, I still can't believe, Joe, that you recommended people do that. Oh. I think it was negligent, and this is hard-earned money that people are playing daily fantasy with. And I, I, think, I think it was a nasty thing for you to do. I think by this point in the podcaster-to-listener relationship, people will easily identify the dulcet tones of Matthew Fairburn and that he indeed was the one to recommend Cam Phillips be stacked with with uh, Derek Anderson and all the daily fantasy and season long fantasy fantasy teams even dynasty leagues I think I think you went to so yeah got to have Cam Phillips in your 16 team dynasty <laughs> I stick by it and look this might be the week to Call the Derek Anderson owner in your league and buy low. He's going to have more time to prepare. for. I know he was snatched up off the waiver wire in all your leagues, but give the guy a call. Buy low. See if you can maybe get him on the cheap. You know, Trade a, trade a wide receiver and, and get that guy on your roster because he's going to have some time here to get settled in, and, and he's really going to start cooking with gas. I can feel it. My, oh, my. All right. The, uh, the Vontae Davis Award. Man, how many options are there? How about just the run defense? Can we just make it like sure. a, a whole unit? Because where were they? Really, from the second half on, the, the when the Colts just completely blew this thing wide open, it was when they were really pushing the tempo right up the gut. And that just, it's a bad look for the defensive tackles who have been playing really well. The defensive ends weren't getting pressure. The linebackers were up a little bit too far, and they got covered up by blockers. It's just, I don't know what happened. I really don't. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to Tuesday to see who got flat-out beat because it's, it's tough to tell when you're watching the game live, but at the same point, whatever happened, just not good enough. All right, to come on, Darlene, we decided, and this was to uh, – to Tim Graham's credit, um, shout out Tim Graham, who's sitting right behind us. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> this is what we deal with, everyone, in the press box. Um, he, he mentioned that uh, when he visits us on the podcast after games and he gives us his own Come On Darlene, that his Come On Darlene's should be in like a play-in bracket to, to get into the actual tournament. And I love that idea because... Who, who doesn't want to make the Come On Darlene a little bit more complicated than it is? So, And just for the record, this was me taking myself out of the equation a little bit because Joe at Green Bay said I was going to take his spot for the Come On Darlene. Yes. He was going to slot me right in. And I said, I don't deserve to be slotted right in. I should be forced to play myself in. So, so lest anyone think that I'm, you know, trying to... Ham-fist your yeah, way into this. I'm trying to get, you know... I'm a fister, but not a ham fister. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> I, can, I can totally see that quote being sent yeah. to all three of us. Um, so, For retro- what? For what? Red flag or something? <laughs> I don't know. Retroactive, come on, Darlene, from the Green Bay game, because you took, what is it, Arnie Herber? Arnie Herber. Arnie Herber. My come on, Darlene, for that game would have been the flag during the national anthem. That was the amalgam of France and the United States that was not just, on purpose. Just I dug it. It was it was something. So that is the retroactive come on Darlene. All right. 
Tim, do you have a come I, on Darlene for us? Don't make me go first because okay. I wasn't. I, All right, you go. First, I'm going to go Joe. last. Matthew Fairbrook. You're going to go last. Yes, I, I, I have already to go claimed first. It. Yes. Go ahead. Talk slow. I'm trying to think <laughs> of something that may have happened yesterday that would have. Uh, a Ray Ray I, No, I, I always like to find. Uh, well, there's one I have in my back pocket. I always like to find something strange that happened that I can use as a come on, Darlene. But I don't think too much happened in Indianapolis yesterday, mm-hmm. to my recollection. Okay. Uh, okay. Anyhow, <laughs> my come on, Darlene, is going to go to Sean McDermott. Oh, four. Because I don't think I've given Sean McDermott one of these yet. No, this only year. I have. Um, and I think it's it's due time. And he gets the come on, Darlene, for – he could get it for a number of different things, really. I'm going to give it to him for his explanation of the Ray-Ray McLeod situation, which was that it was a football decision, mm. which sounds like poppycock to me because mm, great word. he was – It's a Mike Harrington word. He was <laughs> – I take it back. <laughs> Matthew. Forget I ever used it. Take that one out of my lexicon. But hey, we did also a great word. We did defend the public trust today. We did, you know, defend the honor of the public. You're holding people. We held, and that's account. what I, I'm holding the powerful accountable right here. Okay. Doing so, you, so Ray Ray McLeod did, does not make the trip to Indianapolis, non-injury reason, as explained by the team. His agent comes out and says Ray Ray made a mistake. Sean is a great coach, and Ray Ray will learn from this. After the game, when asked, Sean McDermott said, "Yeah, it was football." reason not disciplinary Mm. which i'll be damned because wyatt teller and connor mcdermott all the other guys who were inactive somehow made it onto the plane i don't know if they needed an extra spot for a booster and booted ray ray mcleod off or what but i thought the explanation was a long trip to indy i just think i think it's kind of just a silly explanation when you know it's either a complete lie or some sort of fudging of the truth because they knew he wasn't going to play, but still, why does he get left behind? I, I don't know. If you're gonna, if you're gonna leave a guy behind, I think you gotta you gotta have the the testicular fortitude to explain yourself. Or maybe just to say, um, it was an in-house matter. We're right. taking we're taking. It was uh, a football decision. Well, so were all these guys that were inactive, and yet they all made the trip. Mm-hmm. Weird, weird. Fair. I think Fair. it was. I, I just just a li- little annoying. TG, what do you got? Come on, Darlene, to Adam Vinatieri. The guy's 10 points away from breaking the record. Mike Rodak's man crush. And we think we might see history today. Now, had he had a perfect day, he still would only had eight points. But he misses an extra point. And then the Colts go for two on their second touchdown because they want to get to 14. There was a penalty, of course, involved there. It got him a little bit closer to the goal line. So our boy Marlon Mack. Gets the two-point conversion. <laughs> and then he misses on the last touchdown, too. So he misses two extra points. I think it's, uh, as I'm going to put in my story, typical Vinatieri choke job. Wow. Typical. Did you know he hurt his groin? Oh, that's right. And he hurt himself. Right. How Which many, he probably did on How many purpose. points away was he at the end of the game? Then? He still needs five to break okay. the record. All right. we, and so we were talking afterwards, what if he doesn't get there? He hurt his groin. He's, what, 45 years old. I'm sure oh. that groin's not going to heal the way it used to. They're going to trot his ass out yeah, there. They are. And they're going to set him up. They'll, they'll kneel down. It'll yes. be like Brett Favre getting the, giving uh, Michael Strahan but the he's sack. But he's still got to put it through. I mean, five points, that's a lot. You either need to make two field goals or make some extra points. And if his groin is bad and doesn't heal up, 
they also got to make, you know, football decisions. All right. My come on, Darlene. And this came to me within the last 29 minutes. As the pod was going on, <laughs> this goes to a person who I almost guarantee does not listen to the Bills beat. He does not follow me on Twitter, but somehow sent me a reply to my mentions to uh, a video from the the one-on-one I did after the game with Sean McDermott about what he had to say about Josh Allen. To which he replied, rather than watching the Bills play on Monday, he'd rather have another vasectomy. Oh. So, so wait a minute. First off, too much information for telling me you had a vasectomy. That's a personal issue. Don't don't uh, don't Who relinquish says it. It has to be an issue. What sure. do you, what, what's a, your problem with vasectomy? It is a personal choice. It's a personal matter. It's a personal matter. It's an it's a team decision <laughs> that you that you have decided to do. Keep that in house. Just keep it in house, man. You don't need to do that. And then to say, hey, you know what? I'd, I'd, I'd do it again right. rather than watch the Bills on Monday night. I bet you he still watches. But you know, you know how much how much uh, that puts on a person? Snip, snap, snip, snap, snip, snap. You think the you, effectiveness of the vasectomy increases if you get a double vasectomy? A vasectomy <laughs> on top of the first vasectomy? Can you get a you double vasectomy? Is that because a of, thing? Well, that's what he's proposing. What, how, many, how many layers of vasectomies can one have? Because vasectomies aren't 100% foolproof, right? I, I don't and they know. can also be reversed, as Michael Scott yeah. has told us. Did I get a reverse vasectomy? So if you get a, a second vasectomy on top of the first one, maybe it pushes the effectiveness closer to that 100%. But, yeah, kudos to that guy. I, I can't say he's entirely wrong. Yeah, so come on, Darlene, to Ron. Don't tell me you have a vasectomy. Don't threaten you're going to get a second one rather than watch the Bills. Wait, wait, Darlene a real person? Yeah, she is. All right, then I shouldn't make my joke. But you can think about something (laughs) about it. She listens, too. Does she? I don't think she does. Here and there. Think about the play on words that you could make with come on, Darlene, and what Ron now can't do since he's had his vasectomy. Tim? (laughs) (laughs) All right. This is we're, we we've we've overstayed our welcome in the suite in Lucas Oil Stadium talking about vasectomies and all the like. All right, so the Bills two and five on the year. They've got a date with the New England Patriots up next. We're actually gonna record this on Friday of next week just because the way that the uh, the Bills schedule of the week kind of pans out, um, everything is delayed a day. So we will talk to you on Friday of next week where we'll record the, the newest version of the pod and, uh, and, and, yeah, get you ready for the Monday night game. And by that point, we might find out if maybe Josh Allen has a chance to play. Probably not. But and hey. by then, Ron may have had his second vasectomy. Yeah, who knows. Uh, if, if Ron with the double vasectomy isn't an outright favorite for the Come On Darlene bracket, I don't know what is, especially after that uh, – Oh, that, uh, oh, the filler bustering that, that Tim Graham just laid down on the, uh, on the Bills Beat podcast. All right. Matthew, thank you as always, friend. Tim Graham, thank you for chiming in and giving us your, uh, <laughs> eloquence. Here the Thanks for having me. <laughs> 
My name is Joe Pascalia. I'm gonna go. I don't know. Just. Do you think wash, I injected wash. some quality material into this podcast? I'm just gonna go wash my eyeballs with with soap or something. I don't know. All right. It's time to buck up. It is. That's right. All right, everybody. Thank you all for listening. We will talk to you from Orchard Park on Friday. See ya.